You don't always realize how bad the teachers are at Hogwarts until you see an example of what good teaching looks like. And you're reminded. Most of the guidance the children receive in this school are pretty much horrendous. And today I'm joined by Radio Mike, creator of Harry Potter and the Boys, to celebrate the first ever decent Defense Against the Dark Arts professor. Hi, and welcome to Belated Binge Harry Potter, the re-binge podcast that doesn't take itself or the books too seriously. I'm Zach, your host, and I didn't read this series until my mid-twenties. Today, we continue Prisoner of Azkaban with Chapter 7, The Boggart in the Wardrobe. The Belated Binge Podcast. Before we start, spoilers. Obviously. Language. Definitely. Shout out to Katie and Alice holding it down for the Bonus Binge Squad. Alice is the newest member of the Bonus Binge Squad on Patreon. If you want to join that fun and get shout outs in all the episodes, as well as access to bonus episodes and other cool benefits like shout outs in all of the podcasts, check out patreon.com slash belated binge. We're going to get to the chapter in just a second, but first I need to welcome my guest. He is the host of Harry Potter and the boys along with 20th century boy and probably a hundred other things all the way from, from literally the other side of the world from tomorrow. Uh, calling in. It is Radio Freaking Mike. How's it going, man? Oh, it is so good to be here. I, I actually like every time someone from America asks me to be on their podcast, which has only happened like two or three times, I'm just like, I cannot believe this. Because as an Australian, getting into the US is like the biggest thing that can happen. And I assume it doesn't work the other way. Like no one from America is like, oh, we've got to make it big in, in Australia. I actually completely disagree because I was just talking to my wife about how fucking excited I was to have this conversation with you, the guy from Australia. Oh, and cool. she was like, oh, I know you've been trying to do this for a long time. Like I've literally talked about it and built it up. So you're a much That's bigger amazing. deal than you think. Oh, awesome. Well, yeah, it's great <laughs> to be here. Yeah, from, from the future, we, we were just talking off air about how you just had dinner. I'm getting lunch after this. It is great. Time zones. How it's, do they work? Please explain. I just want to know if tomorrow sucks like today sucked. That's really all I'm looking for. <laughs> hey, man, tomorrow is a little better. Tomorrow nice. is a little better. And, nice. and hopefully the next day is even more. <laughs> uh, I'll take it. Uh, so... I like to do this with everybody because this is a Harry Potter centric podcast and I was super, super duper late to the party. I like to hear how other people got into it. So like, what's your Harry Potter story? How'd you get into it in the first place? Yeah. Cause you only read them in your mid twenties. Yes. It? Was it that? Yeah. Which I think is absolutely absurd as someone who was born in the nineties that you, how did, can I just ask you, how mm -hmm. did you miss it? How did you miss them? Well, so, um, I did. I grew up. I am, I mean, I, without telling the whole internet and tens of people listening to this, my exact birth date, I am damn near spot on movie canon Harry. Right. I was right. 11 in 2001 when, yeah. you know, uh, that came out. And so uh, I grew up through the entire hype. And I did read the first few books as a kid when they were coming out so i got through 
I got through part of Goblet of Fire before I just put them down. Um, right. I was an athlete. Um, I was at the right age to think that I was going to be chasing girls unsuccessfully. And, well, I the unsuccessful part was the uh, in retrospect. But um, <laughs> I just prioritized other things other than reading. I just didn't read, like, yeah, fair at enough. all uh, after that. And I started to get made fun of a lot for bearing a striking resemblance to the character. I was actually just going to say, you actually look a lot like Daniel Radcliffe. I just realized that it, it's actually uncanny. Yeah, you look unbelievably like Harry Potter. That yeah. That's crazy. I've heard that a fair amount in my life. Uh, and when you're a kid and you're being made fun of in such a manner, it doesn't no. really spark a ton of, like, desire to go read the books that the people are making fun of you for looking like. So I just... yeah didn't um but when i was uh yikes in well mid-20s at some point in time my wife and i had our first like place and i've and i've told this story on the podcast uh so i'll give the shortened version but i used to come home and turn sports on like i did all the time i used to work in sports radio i was like sports 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 always on the tv my wife Mm. could fuck about sports at all (laughs) And so Classic. I was like, wait, that doesn't seem to be a very fair use of the, you know, TV monopoly I've got going on during dinner time. So I would try to find stuff that we might have in common or at least that she liked enough. And I was like, I know what this is. Uh, and the Harry Potter movies would be on all the time. And I'd be yeah, like, awesome. What is happening? Like what would I'm asking questions? And her answer is always. It's better in the books. You you'd have to read the books. So eventually I read the damn books. (laughs) Mm, Get, get the whole context. Yeah. And here I am now talking about them on a podcast because you know, I'm original. That's what we do. Yeah. Yeah. I, yes, I, um, no, I'm a a Harry Potter child. I was probably like six years old when the first one came out or seven, maybe, which was, I think the, and sorry, I'm talking about the movies when Mm -hmm. I, when I say that. So I remember going to the cinema with my parents and my brother to see the first Harry Potter film, which came out around Christmas, at least in Australia, um, in 2001. And I I actually remember being really scared when Professor Quirrell takes off the turban and you see Voldemort <laughs> on the back of it. I remember that scaring me. Um, and then I think from there, I just started reading the books and then I would start watching the movies we used to go with our with my parents to every movie they would take us and then that sort of dropped off by like the sixth one where they were getting a bit too like the ones where harry's like kissing cho and there's all these romantic (laughs) stuff where you're like oh i don't want to see this one with my parents um but just obsessed saw the the final movie in cinemas like seven times went to the premiere wow screening well the the melbourne premiere not the actual premiere but um (laughs) like all that stuff and Love the books, obsessed, and yeah, probably around 07, I started writing fanfic because I was just like a prolific writer as a kid, not just Harry Potter, like everything. And um, yeah, I I wrote my Harry Potter fanfics, which now I do a podcast where I read them out. And yeah, that's that's pretty much it. I'm just obs- I, I've always been obsessed with it. I still love it. I love the entire franchise and. 
yeah, I just think it's great. Yeah, that was the next thing I was going to have you uh, explain a little bit about is Harry Potter and the boys. Yeah, this is just the most absurd <laughs> thing ever. So that that's my pod and it's based on, it's actually based on when I was at primary school or elementary school, as you guys would say, um, I think when I was in grade four, I, so maybe 10 years old, I used to write, handwrite, you know, mm-hmm. in a scrapbook, this Harry Potter fanfic called Harry Potter and the Boys with, with a few other students in my class. And then, you know, three or four years later, I was at, I was at high school, year seven, grade se- seventh grade. I'm, mm-hmm. You you know what I mean. I'm, you I do. know what I mean when I say year seven. I, yeah, do. I don't have to translate. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, oh, the Americans are going to be so confused about how we say we, it. Um, <laughs> we actually skip seven. We go straight six oh. to eight. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. What? Seven. Seven is a number. That's you don't a number? have seventh grade. Oh, I'm, I'm totally kidding. Oh. <laughs> okay, that just shows how dumb I am that I don't believe that. <laughs> um, so I found... In year seven, I found that book, the handwritten one. And I was like, oh, this is funny. I'm going to digitize it and kind of update it. So I started, I started like writing it on Microsoft Word. And then I just kept going. And I wrote seven Harry Potter fanfics that are like absurd, fourth wall breaking, sexually charged. Um, and Harry is like this abusive headmaster of Hogwarts who is an absolute lunatic who has very little regard for the safety of the students um and it's it's pretty funny so that's why and I don't know where it spurred from but yeah <laughs> so he's Albus Dumbledore is what you're saying that that's what you yeah. described <laughs> yeah yeah he's, he's like he's like Dumbledore but like if Dumbledore was more explicit in his ignorance of of child safety because Dumbledore is subtle about it in my book, Harry just fucking, like, does not give a fuck. In fact, he actively, like, sometimes kills students. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> but there's, you know, there's this new, there's a bunch of new mysteries, a bunch of new characters, and a bunch of new twists. And it sort of loosely follows the original. It's sort of parodying the original books. So, in the first, oh, you haven't finished the first book, I don't think. So, I don't want to spoil. <laughs> I, w- I won't spoil for anyone what happens. But, you know, there's there's a lot of, like, similar things. But maybe like more like if there's a twist in the ori- in the original books I'll sort of do the same twist with a sexual spin or a <laughs> or a fart based spin or a swear word based spin or something like that yeah. so yeah it's very and I, mature and i think it's worth noting that you wrote it when you were like 13 like reiterate like the mm. the fact I that you're it- able to to have written it back then make a podcast out of it now and still make it be funny. There's a level of jealousy that I feel right now and also <laughs> admiration. And I don't know which one to lean into harder. Ah, <laughs> oh, dude, I wouldn't be jealous because I'm pretty sure this podcast will prevent me from getting any real job. ever. <laughs> so I've basically gone all in on podcasting because there's no way any legitimate person would hire me after this podcast being publicly available so yeah i think it should just be your resume just yeah walk into interview rooms with a little recorder like a tape deck <laughs> yeah <laughs> Press play. Play. this is this is me you want this me is you you've get. got me yeah nope. <laughs> i made this successful on the internet imagine what i could do for you <laughs> yeah actually that's a good point oh <laughs> uh, all right should we jab- jump into the the chapter discussion 
Yeah, let's do it. All right. Well, first, in case you were obliviated or you got your Hogwarts letter late, let's shove our faces in that white liquidy substance of our pensive. In chapter six, Talons and Tea Leaves, I was joined by Dan from Hogwarts, a podcast. Shout out to Dan. Trelawney, one of those fine, fine teachers of Hogwarts, predicted Harry's death just to get a rise out of her students. And then Hagrid gets a rise out of Harry, literally rising off the ground on the back of a hippogriff. And a hippogriff that Malfoy later insults and gets an armful of claws, which results in a lot of bad news for Hagrid. And that's pretty much the gist of the entire chapter. So now we have reached the point where our wands connect. Not the tips, just the streams, so we can recap what went down in the chapter we just read this week. Our priority Incan chapter is from Chapter 7, The Boggart in the Wardrobe. In this chapter, if I could summarize it, Remus Lupin does cool shit as a teacher. That's mm. pretty much the gist. Uh, you you feel bad for Lupin, don't you? Because he was such a good teacher. He's like destined to teach that subject. And then unfortunately, as we know, it doesn't really work out for him. But yeah, you feel bad that it ended the way it did, as in how he got sort of sacked for being a werewolf. Yeah, it you do. It's awful. And I may have put it, it might even be in the notes here somewhere. Do you think that he was particularly adept at teaching defense against the dark arts or could he have just been a good teacher of any subject that's a great question i actually think he i just think he's a really good teacher because and there's a few things in this chapter that show it like i i think maybe he he would like specialize in defense against the dark arts but he could probably teach anything but i think as a character he's really well written in that he's almost like one of the first teachers that really like respects the students and almost treats them as equal not as equals but like mm -hmm. has much more of like a mentor yeah. relationship with the students and respect for them than uh, like compared to obviously Snape but even like McGonagall feels like a very authoritative character as much as she's like a good character she feels like she asserts her kind of not power maybe her you know, her superiorness or her seniority over the students. Whereas Lupin feels like that cool teacher at school that's also good and the students respect him. Yeah, I agree. Uh, McGonagall is definitely more that disciplinarian and mm. is that trash. Uh, but Dick yeah, Dick Yes, yes. Very well put. Uh, I, I tend to think, I, I tend to agree with you. I, I think that Lupin probably could have taught just about any subject at Hogwarts, and I think it's unfortunate that he didn't get that opportunity. Mm. You know, I think the whatever the wider canon says he was basically like homeless or whatever before this. Like, it would have been nice if the dude had a job at Hogwarts that wasn't Defense Against the Dark Arts that he could only do for a year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think, like, maybe his sort of attitude towards the students is informed by his one his own time being a student at Hogwarts and his own mm -hmm. time sort of understanding what it's like to be a student and also being a bit mis mischievous at his time at Hogwarts. Um, but also I think just because of a lot of, because of the um, discrimination he faced, like he doesn't treat other people the way that he's treated. He treats people with respect, like no matter who they are, whereas he is on the sort of receiving end of a lot of flack because of who he is. And 
like I think that's a really interesting insight to his character. Yeah, I I agree with you. Uh, we're gonna dive more into Lupin in a bit, but mm. first we have to get through the get through the Slytherins of it all because it starts with Malfoy being a douche about his hippogriff induced uh, induced. Maybe that should be a word that exists in the English language. <laughs> He's been induced <laughs> by a hippogriff. Um, in potions, of all places, Snape lets him stroll in, lay, disrupt the class, makes Ron and Harry do his work for him, and makes sure that Draco gets the best ingredients of all of it and all of that nonsense. I don't want to recount it line by line because it's just going to annoy me. Uh, yeah. And Snape knows that this is all an act too, right? Like he knows Malfoy's faking this shit. That's the, th there's a few things here that, that really frustrate me, not like about the characters. So I think we see in this chapter how just like privileged, but also how much power the Malfoy family has and how much of a dickhead Malfoy can be. I feel like the movies kind of portray him sometimes as just like a little, like a little bit, he's like a bully, but he's not like, he's not sinister necessarily, right? Yeah. Whereas here, like, he actively is, like, faking this in in injury to try and get Hagrid sacked, which is, like, you know, just so, so mean. It's um, manipulative. Then, yeah, it's manipulative. That's, that's the other thing. I don't like that Snape knows it's an act and, like, allows it to go forward because I would think, even though Snape and Hagrid aren't close, like, I wouldn't think Snape has anything against Hagrid, but he would know that, you know, this is going to lead to Hagrid being sacked. Um, and the other thing I think we see here is Ron, who a lot of people agree got done really dirty in a lot of the movies, often oh, just comic so relief, a, a lot of his lines stolen by Hermione. But Ron is really actively, like, angry at Malfoy, wants to, like, beat him up and, like, is defending Hagrid, right? Ron is really on the forefront of that, which I really respect from his character here. Yeah, he doesn't get enough of his supportive side, I guess you could say, in the movies. He's he's relegated to a supportive character, and he doesn't get to show how fiercely he supports the people that he cares about. He's it, so loyal in the books. Yeah. He's such a loyal character, and as you said, like he will stand up for the people that he cares about and loves. Whereas in the movies, I always thought, not to jump around a bit, but in the final movie when Harry tells... Ron and Hermione that he's the last Horcrux and he has to die. Hermione goes and gives Harry a big hug and Ron just stands at the at the back yeah. not, doesn't even say anything to Harry and I thought, wow, what a missed opportunity. Like, sh Ron would be there being like, no, you're not doing this. We're going with, like, but like the movie, they don't even give him a line to say to his best friend. No, like, he's crazy. he's missing all of the fire that the character has. Even for yes. better or worse in the books, because that fire doesn't get placed in the right places all of the time in the books, but like he has it and he's, um, it, you just get Rupert Grint making funny faces and that's yeah. what you get. And I actually think Rupert could have done a great job with, if yeah. he had been given those lines, he's like, I think he's a really, really good actor, but yeah, I think Ron, the beauty of Ron is he will be loyal to his friends despite, like, if it's going to affect him negatively. Or, yeah. And sometimes he's brash and he acts without thinking, but it's because he's loyal to his friends. And I think that's that quality is lost a bit 
in the movies. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, and I and I agree with you about Draco too. I think the Tom Felton of it all, uh, the kind of lack of screen time, and they really, really, they tone down the bullying. I imagine mm. because they didn't want to put bullying on screen, because they do the same mm. with Snape. Like they're yeah. minor annoyances in the movies. Yeah, at best. But, but but as you said, like Felton, the the charm of Tom Felton, who is a devilishly charming man. Yeah. Like he's and he's a fantastic actor. Um, but like in the movies, you you kind of you, sometimes you're rooting for Malfoy just because you like you want to be friends with Tom Felton because he <laughs> seems like a cool dude. Such is. I would say at least half the Draco support online. Yes, exactly. Just for that exact yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's it's wild. I'm going to try to get Tom Felton on this podcast. He's going to say no, but at some point in time, I'm going to shoot that shot. Um, I actually reached out to Colin Creevy, as in the actor. Yeah. Um, and I did I did get a reply. It nice. was a no, but I did. I have, I can say I have spoken via email to the actor who played Colin Creevy. That's awesome. It's <laughs> <Yeah>. fantastic. <laughs> can, can can I also say in this potions class that again we see just how much of a dickhead Snape is as well. Mm -hmm. Like again, as you said, forcing Harry and Ron to cut up his potions ingredients, and then um, you know Hermione helps Neville. I'm sure we're getting to this, but Hermione helps Neville with his potion. Um, ne Snape is going to force Neville to feed the potion to his to his toad, and if if it's wrong, the toad will die. Snape knows this. Hermione helps him, and then Snape takes points off Gryffindor because she helped him. Like it, Snape is just mean, and yeah, obviously there's the redemption in inverted commas at the end of the series with Snape, but you still got to remember that he was just a mean guy, regardless of whether he loved Harry's mom or not. Yes. I, yeah, I literally couldn't have said it better myself. I got to skip a whole paragraph in, in the notes because that's, <laughs> yeah, that's literally what happened. He, the fact that he literally took away points from their house because Neville got it right. Mm. And that's sink in from an educational standpoint. That's it. And the other <laughs> thing is like, what are you encouraging in a classroom when you do that? Because, you know, you're saying to, you're basically punishing Hermione for knowing the answers and for being studious is like the opposite of what a teacher should do. Like yeah. Snape should love Hermione because she cares about potions and she gets it right. She's but literally instead, the only one. <laughs> yeah, he puts her down and takes points off her and makes her feel bad for helping her peers, which is what I think we all we can ask for in education is that like people care about the subject and help their peers who are struggling. Like, so I hate Snape in this chapter for that. I, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, and it's, and it's a through line. It's been happening every book. It's been happening in this book. It happens more in this book. Every time Hermione tries to answer a question in his class, he puts her down mm. and like publicly ridicules her. Yeah. For trying to answer the question that he asked. Yeah. When nobody else is trying to. It's exactly infuriating. Absolutely it infuriating. It, it's the worst kind of teacher you could possibly have. And you, you even wonder, like, surely if Dumbledore... Like, does Dumbledore ever pull Snape aside and have a word with him? Just be like, hey, 
if students are putting their hands up and answering questions, you can't shut them down for it. That That's not what we do here at Hogwarts. I think that the fandom takes a lot of liberties to take shots at Dumbledore about mm. the way that he interacts with Harry or the way that he uses people around him or the way that he withholds information. Lots of things, lots of gray with Dumbledore that the fandom mm. tries to vilify him for, which I sometimes I see the gray. Sometimes I think people just want to hate Dumbledore, but the fact that Severus Snape is able to treat students like this in his classroom under Dumbledore's leadership as headmaster is to me quite possibly the biggest black mark on Dumbledore's character yeah in the entire series or that he literally let Professor Quirrell teach defense against the dark arts when Voldemort was on the back of his head like <laughs> yeah not great foresight there not yeah. great or, or backsight but back of head sight yeah back of head sight <laughs> Or letting, yeah, just the, the, I mean, Dumbledore, the amount of blunders this man has had, uh, it's hard to believe he's still in the job, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I said this with Dan on the last episode, he, he has his hands full, you know, his, his primary job is to kill a serial killer that's invincible currently. So like he's putting most of his effort there, just running this school and is yeah, you know, just a thing that he does. But I, uh, yeah, uh, no, I disagree with you. His primary job is running the school. <laughs> He's, his job actually isn't to kill Voldemort. He could just be like, hey, I'm the headmaster of this school. Send the police. I don't, I'm not looking after this. <laughs> he, he, he bestows it upon himself and then like gets upset about it. It's like, hey man, why don't you just run the school? <laughs> He could. And what's funny is in the same breath, I would say that the one of the only things he actually cares about in life is this like are the students of yeah. Hogwarts, despite the fact that he does so many things that go against that line of thinking throughout the 100%. entire series. It Absolutely. He is the grayest character and I'm not talking about his beard. <laughs> Also, one of the most fun to talk about. Um, what did you make of the Malfoy, um, you know, we, okay, obligatory, we have to say, you mentioned earlier, he's doing this to try to get Hagrid fired. Daddy's going to mm. get Hagrid fired. He's got a lot of sway in the ministry and all yeah, and yeah. whatnot, and I couldn't care less. The thing that I hone in on a little bit more here is where the – Sirius Black sighting is brought up and Malfoy gets that like sinister smile in that like unique angle to bully Harry through that he yes. just relishes. We're, we're getting used to Harry not knowing shit about himself and his family mm-hmm. and his past and all of that. He does. He's, he's oblivious to everything around him and everything that has to do with him pretty much all the time. Until he's not, because the plot needs him to be. But the fact that Malfoy seems to know something, Mm. and it has to do with Sirius Black, a man that he has learned is supposedly out to kill him, and he has no idea why, 
Malfoy seems to know something. And while I think it's the fact that Malfoy's saying, I would want to go after him myself. I would get revenge. Malfoy's not going after anybody by himself ever for anything, any reason. He's a coward. Anyways, the but I can't think of a worse way or something that would make Harry stew more than the idea that Malfoy knows something about him that he doesn't and can hold it over his head like this. Yeah, it's kind of gaslighty. I don't know if it's gaslighty. It's like there's some, there must be a term for like using information over someone like that. Because I mean, yeah, obviously he's alluding to the fact that Sirius betrayed the Potters. Harry doesn't even know that. that I, I don't, does, does Harry even know that Sirius knew the Potters at this no. point? No, no, he, he no only, clue. all he knows is that Sirius killed Peter Pettigrew, right? He, no, he I don't. That, I don't think he even knows that much yet, does he? Uh, uh he just does knows he know that, that it's serious killed people. Killed yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. And so I think so Harry doesn't doesn't know that there's any connection to him. And 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 funnily enough, like it, it is when you think about it, he doesn't know that Lupin knew his parents. And that yeah, there's a lot of people like it's funny Lupin didn't just say to Harry, Oh, I went to school with your dad. I was really good friends with him. Yeah, that's something that I question. Um, I think I, 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 th- I think it's going to come up in a later chapter because they actually get some one-on-one time. Yeah. But the fact that they that Lupin hasn't made any kind of outreach to connect with Harry in any way and and mm. inform him that he was friends with his his parents and and that they do share a, a connection and that like knowing that Harry's an orphan. I doubt that he knows that he's abused at home. Mm. I doubt he knows that much unless Dumbledore has told him, which is very possible. I hypothesize part of Dumbledore's master plan is that Remus Lupin is here this year because this is the point where Dumbledore starts caring a little bit more about Harry's quality of life over just Mm. keeping him alive as a chess piece. And he wants to provide him family. Yeah, some, no, some form of family, and that's why he brings Lupin in now. That's my, uh, my my ongoing Dumbledore theory that continues to develop throughout the pod. But um, but the fact that Lupin hasn't reached out, he hasn't made mention even in passing, like anything. Now, granted, this is the first time they're actually in class with him, but they've been at Hogwarts at least for a minute. They've seen yeah. each other, so they were on the train, you know, for. He literally, you know, pew pewed the the uh, Patronus to get rid of the Dementor that made Harry pass out, and he gave him the chocolate mm-hmm. and all the all of that, and no mention at all. Hey, I I, I knew your parents. Nothing. Yeah, because it it obviously would have meant so much to Harry. But back to Malfoy, yeah, I just think it's it it's really mean. It is this kind of like psychological thing of yeah, I know something that you mm-hmm. don't. Harry doesn't seem super phased by it. If anything, he f- seems more confused by it, um, which I guess is good. Like, he, I think he says, why did Malfoy say that about Sirius Black? Like, well, I don't, like, why would I want to get revenge on him? Like, he's he's confused and curious. I don't think he's angry or upset about it. Like, he's not, he's not sort of threatening Malfoy, like, tell me or, or this or or anything like that. So, yeah. But I think that's why it eats at him. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, if it was something he was just angry about, I think it would pass. But this gets mm. to linger, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it was guess, one thing like, when Hermione knew something about, like, his dad being on the Quidditch team or something. It, you, like, it's one thing when that's the case. It's another one Malfoy knows. <laughs> yeah. So we finally, the Toad survives, thank God. Uh, we mentioned Snape takes points from Gryffindor because Neville actually got the potion right. Yes. In transition... Ron is yelling at Hermione about losing the points. Like, Ron gives a fuck about losing points for Gryffindor, but for this scene, he needs to because we have to have the disappearing act for Hermione. Yes, of course, yeah. And we have to to have... Yeah, there has to be a reason for her to not... And then just, like, poof, bottom of the stairs again or whatever. It does feel sort of... um unfair for ron to be upset at it like it does feel out of yeah. character that ron would be upset at her because like he knows it's snape and he's just doing stupid stuff like he should be angry at snape not hermione and that's what normally happens usually mm. he's mad at snape and that's what we get it literally happens in like the very next chapter he's out of, he, they come out of a snape class and he's seething at snape and in this case yeah it, it, he's he's turned it on hermione which is it does, it just seems weird, and I think it's literally just a vehicle to get us to the Time Turner, like, Easter egg of yeah. Hermione's there, and now she's not, and she it, doesn't it could, really know that she was gone, and this kind of weird thing. It could also be that there's some, I guess there's some pent-up frustration with Ron around the Crookshanks and Scabbers stuff, so maybe he's kind Fair. of already upset. That kind of feels in character with Ron, um, but... Yeah, you're right. I mean, at the end of the day, it is just we keep getting these references to to the time turner that we don't yet know is a time turner. And yeah. Yeah, it's it's heavy handed to say the least. Mm. And Ron continues to be the only person on this mystery and that gives a shit about this mystery. <laughs> and And because of that, it kind of feels like something you're supposed to dismiss. Maybe that's the movies coming through, but it does feel like, you know, Ron's going on about this thing. You're just supposed to be like, oh, Ron, shut up. It's obviously nothing. You're thinking too much about it. And and it does kind of just gloss over you a bit. You don't think much of it. Well, I think it's because we see the books through Harry's perspective and Harry doesn't give it a second thought. Yes. Harry's completely oblivious to it. That's 100% true. If Harry gave it even just like a shred of uh of merit and actually talked to ron about ron's suspicions we wouldn't have had the big surprise at the end because we would have figured something out or at least been on to it and paying attention to it but you're right it's kind of like a wait what why yeah why would she have just popped up at the bottom of this that doesn't make any sense but that being said like I wonder, I don't remember reading this book for the first time, but I seriously doubt I picked up that it was something important. But I guess, like, the fact that J.K. Rowling keeps coming back to it during mm-hmm. the book, like, I guess that should click. Maybe now as an adult, it would click for me, for me now that something there's something more to this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, I mean, it's set up at the very, very beginning of them getting to Hogwarts. Because mm. when Harry gets taken to McGonagall's office to check on him after the fainting spell on the uh, train, 
Hermione is brought with him and they ask yeah. Harry to step out of the room for a McGonagall Hermione chat, which seems incredibly out of place. We've never seen anything like that before. Like, so it's, it's planted that early that there's something different about Hermione this year or something that Hermione's not telling us or whatever, you know, and it just, mm. we didn't, I, I'm sure I, I, I'm sure I didn't have a clue. I do still think it is absurd that the school would allow a 14 year old student to have this power and trust her with it. I, I, I really think it's a very convenient <laughs> plot point. Um, and I so bad. Yeah. I, I think this is to me, the time Turner opens up so many issues with the series continuity. Um, and also one of my biggest gripes with cursed child, which we will not Ugh. speak of, but, but like, yeah, I do think this whole plot of Hermione getting a time Turner and going to all the classes is just completely ridiculous. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, we can give that a a, a big old ridiculous or however yeah. <laughs> the hell he says it in the movie. Um, and that's where we are, actually. We've got our first Defense Against the Dark Arts class. Look at that. Transitions. Segways. It's like we've been on the radio before, even though nobody's listening to this particular program. <laughs> uh, the, <laughs> um, it's Lupin's first class, and he shows up late. He tells them to put their books away and take out their wands. And he's already the best teacher ever. Mm. Put your book away and take out your wand. Not yeah. your not your fan fiction version of what that sentence would mean, but yeah. their actual spell casting wands. And they've never had this happen in Defense Against the Dark Arts ever. <laughs> this is the Hogwarts equivalent of, guys, we're having class outside today. Or, guys... Yeah. Today in class, we're watching a movie. This is Hogwarts <laughs> version of that, right? And yeah, there's just this instant like, hey, like this class is chill. It's going to be fun. It's going to be challenging. But like, we're all sort of in this together. Just a great presence from him, especially yeah. compared to Lockhart last year or Quirrell in the first year. Like Lupin just brings like a sanity to it or brings like mm -hmm. a level of balance to this school in a way that maybe they haven't seen heaps of um and even and i'm sure you're about to get to this but then he then peeves comes in yeah um, and and you always forget when you reread the books that peeves exists because he's not in the <laughs> movies and, and you're like oh yeah peeves and peeves starts sort of mocking lupin and often we hear peeves and filch and it's this back mm -hmm. and forth kind of thing whereas lupin even with peeves kind of has this degree of respect not not necessarily respect but he just has this calm cool mm -hmm. nature about him when peeves comes in and he's just sort of like politely speaking back to peeves and i think again just shows how, how calm of a character this guy is and how even minded he is it makes me wish now that he had come with them camping all the way later on in the books because, yes, because he does want to come, doesn't he? Yeah, and it's it's the lowest his character ever gets. But yes. it would have been really cool to see Lupin in different types of situations of stress and how mm. he handled it in, like, real world, this shit is actually 
going down kind of stuff because we don't really see it. We see we see him interact with Harry and get snippy with Harry and we see the stress and the weight of it on him when he's like undercover with the werewolves and miserable as all hell during like wartime. Mm. But we don't we don't see what he could have taught them. We don't see what he could have brought to like the I think the camping scenes and experience would have been a way different way better like more productive venture if he was there and i think we could have seen him do some really cool shit in different things that they like uh interacted with or whatever yeah i always found that moment in the seventh book where harry and lupin basically have a big fight and harry Mm -hmm. actually starts kind of insulting him a bit and like i think the main criticism is that he's about to have a child and he wants Mm -hmm. to go and go on this adventure and harry kind of calls him out on that but i always felt like that was really harsh on harry to be honest like and sorry not harsh on harry harsh of harry i thought he was Mm -hmm. being really i i personally was always like oh this is out of character from for harry who always seemed to have this unbound respect for Lupin and yeah. saw him as like a mentor to just start sort of attacking him in that way. I, I never really liked that. The other thing, which I was actually going to say before, but remember I said, I, I forgot what I was going to say. This is what I was going to say. Um, <laughs> I, do you think, because when Sirius Black was, I guess, arrested and taken to Azkaban without trial, I believe, he would have been proclaiming his innocence, right? Sirius would have been proclaiming his innocence out loud, right? Are you, of course. Yeah, you're you're saying like it it seems like a plot hole that he didn't. Well, I think he did. I I think canonically okay. he must have because he was innocent and he would have been proclaiming it, but no one would have listened to him, right? So my I always wonder, just in getting into Lupin's head, did he ever hear that? Did he, and did he believe Sirius? Because he knew that, that Peter Pettigrew could turn into a rat. So I just wonder if Lupin ever wondered, if Lupin ever heard Sirius Black says he's innocent and then maybe added it up. It doesn't seem like he did, but surely he must have wondered. I think what we're meant to believe is that Sirius never claimed innocence. Yeah, right. Which because... I just find... It does, it, it seems, well, it seems like plot convenience is what it seems like, but I, I think it's, because I think the way that it's described is that he essentially laughed maniacally in the moment. It was almost mm. like he kind of just like snapped and lost it a little bit when he was being arrested, and then yeah. he didn't get a trial, and at that point, like, he wasn't going to, he had come he had essentially come to grips mentally with nobody's going to believe anything he says anyways. And in his heart, he felt guilty. Mm. He didn't betray them, but it was his idea to switch to Peter. And so it was his fault. And so he felt like he deserved the punishment, not for what he was incarcerated for, but to be punished. And that was his, because of his loyalty to the Potters, I guess. Like, yeah. he felt like he had let them down. I still yeah. wonder if Lupin 
Because I still wonder if Lupin just went like, I can't believe that this happened because I could never see Sirius doing this. I, it must have crossed his mind at some point. I think at some point what we get is that, and I think it's in the Marauders section of this book, I think we get them have a little bit of an exchange that they that information had been leaking for a bit. Mm, and they it was a spy. And they suspected each other. That's right. And so they Lupin weren't that close. They weren't like yeah. They drifted apart. I, I, I still mm. do think that I think it's a horseshit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I still think knowing all of them, even if they weren't close, I still think Lupin would have suspected Peter, but then maybe he's like, maybe he was actually just like, well, of course Peter got killed. He was like the weakest of us. Like maybe he just thought, well, yeah, that does make sense that Peter died and got murdered by Sirius the traitor. Like maybe it did make sense to him. I don't know. I just always think about that. Yeah, it, and it makes you, it makes you wonder if they were ever to explore the Marauders as its own thing officially. Mm. Like how how can you portray Peter in that group in a way that he could actually betray them and could actually get one over on Sirius and he could actually murder a dozen people in one spell? Because mm. that's a level of aptitude that we're never uh, like given any reason to think that he has yeah except for in that one very moment and at the same there's time there's actually sorry you continue sorry well i getting excited you're okay but that he could do all of that and also not tip his friends off ever that he was capable of it mm. there's there's actually one hint because i'm rereading order of the phoenix at the moment not to mm -hmm. skip two books ahead but I just when, did. I just went on with Dan uh, on Hogwarts yeah, Pod. So <laughs> when when Harry goes into Snape's memory um, of him Snape being bullied by the Marauders, mm -hmm. he's in the exam room where they're all doing an exam, and he sees his dad, he sees Sirius, he sees Lupin, and then he sees Peter, and it actually mentions Peter is often looking nervous and glancing at other people's exams, trying to copy off them, which mm -hmm. I guess isn't, isn't, I'm not saying that someone who cheats on a school exam will definitely go on to be a murder murderer, but it does. I think that little insight shows that Peter is someone who's unconfident in himself and will leverage off of others who know more than him and who can mm -hmm. help him. Um, and he will put himself above integrity or, you know, he, he will go to lengths to, 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 to achieve things that he otherwise couldn't. So I think that little insight to his character is really interesting, but yeah, you're right. Like it is difficult to see at what point he transitioned from weakling student into mass murdering, um, dark servant. Yeah, and and how do you like I said how do you how do you portray a character that you believe is capable but whose closest friends don't? Yeah. Exactly. It's, it's odd. Um did you happen to catch this plot hole moment not to just like wrench us back into the chapter, but mm -hmm. uh Lupin in teaching the class about the Boggart 
says nobody has ever seen what a bogart looks like in its for like when it's alone. Yeah. Mad Eye Moody later uses his wacky eye to confirm to Molly that several rooms away in Grimwood Place, there's a bogart in a cupboard or wherever it is. He's like, yeah, yeah that's that's a bogart. What does yeah. he see? It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Because Moody's eye seems to have some extreme magical properties that like mm -hmm. are never really elaborated on. Yeah. Yeah. The, the other thing about Lupin, and <laughs> we've gone, we're talking a lot about Lupin, but it's a Lupin chapter. It is. This is this is more of a comedic take than an actual serious one. But have you noticed that a lot of Lupin's lessons involve magical creatures they all in a do school, everything in a, in a school where the students are currently studying care of magical creatures like like <laughs> why is lupin teaching this shouldn't hagrid be teaching this like he's he teach you know it's i don't know i just think it's it's a really funny thing he doesn't really teach them like defense against the dark arts he's teaching them defense against magical creatures um which yeah i just think is is a funny side note you're absolutely correct i don't know but I, I guess the, the thing is, it's the defense part. And yeah, true. You're defending yourself against something. Yeah, and I think that's the... I think it's a, a bit of a weird thing about having this class in the first place. Like, what would be the equivalent in a non-magical school of defense against the dark arts? Yeah, like, I mean... the ROTC you, program, but, like, that's not mandatory. What, What's the ROTC program? Uh, it's it's like um, like military prep type yeah, of thing. Yeah, okay, sure, gotcha. Yeah, like, I don't know. Is it like PE? <laughs> like, I mean, that's I, that's <laughs> hooch, right? Isn't isn't that what she? Yeah, it's like true. Yeah, that's true. Rooms. It's like but that's the thing. There, there isn't a subject at Hogwarts that's like, all right, we're going for a run. You know, just yeah. get, get get fit. Let's play some soccer on the oval. Like, there's nothing like that. No, and it's it's weird that, I mean, flying lessons is the closest thing that you get to that, and they only yeah. do that one time just so they can show us that Harry can fly a broom, and, but it's like, like we don't have mandatory self defense classes in school. True. Well, I was All gonna of, say in in America, you guys have a lot of like school shootings. Well, yeah, I. I mean that's fair. I, they're they're definitely going through like protocol drills at this point. I if I understand correctly, but it, it's still not it's like not a, it's not a class where you'd have an exam for it at the end of the year. Yeah, I wouldn't think yeah. so. Um, maybe yeah. maybe we should. Um, yeah, it's it is yeah. interesting. It's interesting that like yeah, you wouldn't have a subject at your school that's like defense against you know war. What should you do if you find yourself in a war? Like, yeah, it's funny. Yeah, because, and what is the alternative, right? Like, when you got things like Boggarts and hink, Hinky Punks and, and Red Caps and all the other Grindelows. stuff. That does, Grindelow. Yeah, these, like, these menacing creatures that are kind of out to get you in the real world, apparently. Like, what's the alternative? Are you going to have him shooting curses at these kids, you know? Yeah. Which I but guess like, but, technically but we do wouldn't, later on. In we wouldn't even really have a subject. We wouldn't have a subject that's like, hey, uh, 
I don't know, like today you're going to learn how to defend yourself if there's like a lion roaming around. <laughs> like, hey, this is what you should do if you see a lion. Or, hey, this is what you should do if you see a crocodile. Here's how you defend yourself. We don't have these subjects. It is, yeah, it's funny. I feel like you should have them for the tarantulas. That's terrifying. Yeah. It's just <laughs> terrifying. I'm sorry. That <laughs> freaks me out. Um, But true hey, to going, his work. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, going back to the chapter, I think you were about to get back into it as well. But mm-hmm. did you notice Lupin uses a spell on Peeves? <laughs> and it's like, what I, I, I wrote, yeah, what a wussy. Like, what is that? That's like one of the weirdest spell names. I looked it up on Google as well. But yeah, Wadi Wazi. Is that the only one that's not Latin or is it actually Latin? It cannot be Latin. Like, I'm going. Apparently, it's a sweet. It's based on a Swedish word. Oh, Um, lovely. So, yeah. Wad of gum up the nose? (laughs) I just found that spell so out of place. Compared yeah. to like, yeah, the, like the beauty of like the Latin words, like Wingardium Leviosa, Expecto Patronum, and then Wadi Wasi. Like, <laughs> so stupid. And I, I listened to it on the audiobooks, uh, the Jim Dale version, and his the way that he even says it is like, Wadi Wasi. <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> um, but anyways, true to his word, as he told Snape, as Snape bullied Neville in Lupin's class too, because Snape is the worst, um, he does let Neville go first, and his boggart takes the form of Snape. And this Hilarious. is where I get on my soapbox. They are at a boarding school. Mm. They spend more time at this boarding school than they spend in their own homes. Yes. They live at this boarding school. The professors at this boarding school take more of a parental guidance role in these kids lives than their own parents do and this child's worst fucking fear in the world is one of his professors i was about to say like that really shows how bad snape actually is how mean he is that it is his worst fear in a world of you know, I was going to say in a world of death and destruction, but in a world of werewolves and ghosts and literally like a whole slew of fictional, terrifying creatures that could kill you, this kid's worst fear is his teacher. His parents were tortured into insanity. And yeah. he is most afraid of his teacher. Mm. Let the Snape defenders come out and say, well, Snape hates Neville because Voldemort didn't choose him instead of Harry, and if he did, then mm. Lily would still be alive. And to all of that, I say, fuck off. Snape is yeah. the worst. Uh, part of me, this is like in defense of this, though. Part of me does think maybe because these kids are like 13, 14, their understanding of fear is really like rudimentary. Like, you know, you know, cause I would say like maybe my worst fear is like death or something. Right. Or like, I don't know. Yeah. Something like that. Or, or my family being hurt, which is like what Molly's is like. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these kids, all of their bogarts are like a banshee, a mummy, a spider, a snake. They're all very childish fears. Yeah. Not that there's no merit in being scared of those things, but like, 
I think as an adult and you see Molly's Bogart is her family dead. I feel like that's a much more adult thing. Yeah. So part of me wonders if Neville being most scared of Snape is just that it's a childish fear because they don't have the capability to see, you know, that you know, when you're scared of spiders, you're scared that that spider is going to hurt you and bite you and maybe kill you. Right. But they don't, they don't reach that far because they're kids. Yeah. yeah. I, I agree with you. He wouldn't be his worst fear when Neville grows up. Yes. But exactly. this is the time where he's supposed to be guiding children. Mm, yeah. Not sure. becoming their worst fear, worst fear. because yes. the girl he was obsessed with when he was a kid died because he went and told the prophecy uh, that got her killed. And he's taking it out on this child who had nothing to do with it. An innocent mm. child. And he so goes good. out of his way to bully and treat like absolute garbage. And you look at that compared to Professor Sprout, who really embraces Neville's aptitude for herbology. Like, yeah. we, don't see, we don't see much of that. We just hear <laughs> it. But I really like that Professor Sprout, because Neville is like, he, he's, I guess he's one of the dumb kids in inverted commas. Like he's <laughs> not that good at magic. It doesn't come naturally to him, but there's this one thing that he's good at. And yeah. the teacher of that subject really fosters that love in him, which is what all teachers should do. But Snape is just reiterating to him that he's no good, that he's should like that he doesn't belong here in a way. And I, yeah, I hate that. Yeah, he's the worst. But Lupin's great. He's reassuring, yeah. he's supportive, he's instructional. He's just a really good teacher, um, mm. as we talked yeah. about before. The the thing I, I feel like I, I, I got to um, ask you, because Dan brought it up in the last chapter offhand, and I hadn't thought about it, which is funny because it's the type of thing that I would actually normally think of uh, and mm. notice and make fun of, is... He does have a room full of children f facing their worst fears with an audience of their peers. This could that's have been a, Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, <laughs> that's a really good point. But you know what? I agree with that. But in counter to that, don't you think he does it with such a reverence and respect for these students, almost making it feel like a safe space for them? Like, I feel like he's... he's there's no part of it is we're going to laugh at your fear and judge you like, Hey, we're going to do this together. Like even Snape coming out in Neville's grandmother's clothes is like, that's a funny thing for the whole class. And I think the whole point of ridiculous, which is like laughing at fear is the whole class together are seeing their peers fears. And then they're all laughing together at them. And I think mm -hmm. maybe that's the counter argument to that, even though like, of course people are going to bully like Malfoy is going to bully everyone over their fears. But I think as a, as a core, I think there's some merit to it. Yeah. I don't disagree. I think he does this. I, and like I said, normally that's the kind of thing I would make fun of as I'm reading through this. It never even crossed my mind. Like, mm. and I think it's because he does it in such a, he does it in such an emotionally supportive way, which yeah. feels very 2023 to say out loud. Yeah. But, it, but, like, but it's true. The respect for Neville mm -hmm. here. And he chooses Neville because he probably knows Neville isn't like a good student, like isn't a super, you know, great student, I guess. And yeah. he, and the other thing is he would have known Neville's parents. 
he yeah. he was in the order of the phoenix like he knows neville he knows mm-hmm. his parents he knows what happened and i think he probably also knows that neville will be able to do this spell it's probably he probably is giving neville this chance to be like hey you you can do this like here do it i know you can do this and i think yeah. again that's why he's such a good teacher well it's the vote of confidence that neville's never had in his life yeah you know, we yeah we end up later meeting his grandma. He he makes mention of his grandma. We hear about his grandma through Professor McGonagall a few times, and his grandma's strict, and she gives him shit, and she's very open about how she's, you know, rather disappointed in his lack of, you know, yeah. natural ability right out of the gate. Granted, she didn't mm. even get him his own fucking wand uh, to use. He's she waving a stick around. Yeah, yeah, like, uh, so she she put him behind the eight ball in his education in a lot of ways and then gives him shit about it and that's you know they just and she doesn't she's not a bad person she just you know uh she just has a very let's call it an old school way of raising neville yeah Yeah. and and so he hasn't gotten that support at home he Mm -hmm. is used to getting corrected by mcgonagall and almost pitied by mcgonagall and then ridiculed by snape we don't really see him with any other professors so we don't really Mm. know if he's gotten support at this point anywhere for any reason on anything um so just having someone show that to him once like i think probably goes a hell of a long way for this kid in his confidence and his ability to show the growth that he does later in the series especially after he gets his own fucking wand (laughs) yeah but also and going back to Lupin knowing Frank and Alice, he may not have been as close with them as he was with James and Lily, but he For still sure. would have he still would have felt the effect of their death. Oh, not their death, sorry, of their torture. He yeah. still he knows yeah. Neville's circumstances. And I think he's so sensitive to it. And yeah, where other teachers would almost lose patience. Like McGonagall feels like she'd lose patience with, with Neville. Whereas Lupin just gives him this moment to shine. And it's, I love it as a moment, both in the movies and in the books. I think it's great. Yeah, I I do too. I particularly like it because it comes immediately after he's had just such a hard time in Snape's class. And it comes immediately on the heels of Snape, like ridiculing him right in front of everybody. The, The immediate support that Lupin gives him to even outwardly to Snape to begin with, and then reinforces it in the actual classroom. It's it's mm. really good. Um, yeah. The the thing that he does that I think he he does he makes the right call for the right reason, but handles the wrong way. Is that when it comes Harry's turn, he steps in front and doesn't let Harry face the boggart. Mm. And we get confirmation later. Um, that he does this because he assumes that that Boggart is going to take the form of Voldemort, and that's probably not the thing you want appearing in a classroom in the school. Like, not going to be great. Uh, so Yeah, but do you think... I always wondered about this, because if the Boggart appeared as Voldemort, it's not like it has Voldemort's... I don't know, it, it doesn't have his powers or anything. And the other thing is... I wonder as well, Harry doesn't know what Voldemort really looks like, I don't think, other than being Tom Riddle and maybe the face on Quirrell's head. So I I don't, I wouldn't think the Boggart just has this inherent 
truth to it that it knows what Voldemort looks like and is just going to become Voldemort. Um, so I, I do, I guess it is smart to not let the biggest serial killing, murdering <laughs> Nazi kind of guy appear in the classroom. But I, I wonder what shape it would have taken if it was Voldemort that it was going to become. I think that's a really good point because the other thing that I don't know is like, to your point, does it have just like an inherent truth that it knows? Like, mm. how does it know how to turn into a Dementor? Yeah, exactly. But it does it's, that. It does. Yeah, that's true. So, Cause like, may, yeah, I don't know. I'd love I don't either. The, the, the lore of the magic to that, because I guess it, you're right. It knows what professor Snape looks like. Yeah, is, but 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 that makes me think it's it's like reading that from Neville's mind, and yeah. Neville does know what Snape looks like. Whereas Harry's Harry at this point doesn't have a a picture in his mind of what Voldemort specifically looks like as a human, um, other yeah. than Tom Riddle. But yeah, I, I don't know. It's just a it's just a curious thought. And why or do you is, think? Oh, I I was just gonna ask: Is it weird? Is it some kind of intrinsic magic where like it doesn't have to know; it just does? Would it show up as like a? How does it show up as a fragmented soul? Because that's what mm. Voldemort is at the moment, right? Yeah, yeah. Like what? Whoa! <laughs> it, yeah, you're right. But even like, I guess when when Molly sees the bogget, it's split. It's almost like become a scene. It's yeah. not just become a thing. It's become an actual illusion of a whole scene of dead family yeah. members. So it's like, may, yeah, I mean, maybe we, we don't know. It's capable of, of a lot more than maybe we, we know or think, but, but you think it's a misstep from Lupin to, to not let him face it. I think that it, I think that it made sense to be back to what Dan had said, like there, this could have gone really wrong. I think going really wrong could qualify as if Voldemort appeared in the middle of the classroom. Like that, mm. that would, mm. Because that's the kind of thing, the way that he is feared in this world to where like people don't even say his name and that this kind of shit, like he's, he's a lure on like a lore of himself is that's traumatic, even if it's not the real thing for these kids Uh, and probably not great. Right. Yeah. I'm just picturing though, Voldemort appearing in human form. Harry using ridiculous, his robe comes off and he's just butt naked in front of the class <laughs> in Paris. Like that is, that's hilarious. Like I would and, think that that's funny as fuck. And you know, he's got a complex. He, and maybe that's book eight of uh, yeah. of your fanfic is where <laughs> that complex comes from. Um, no, but I, I think it's okay to step in front. What I, what I think that he mishandled is that he didn't pull Harry aside and tell him why yeah for sure which in in the movie he kind of does it in a way where it like looks like he's just like oh now it's my turn he like sort of pretends that he's just sort of going to the front of the line a bit if you've seen that that scene Mm -hmm. um like he sort of sees harry and he goes oh shit and then he kind of just just steps in um which i guess is a better way of handling it but you're right like it would be a weird thing for Harry to see that happen and be like, oh, why did he do that to me? But, but not anyone else. Um, And it ends up sending him into a, like a spiral. Like he, he ends up bringing Mm. up with bringing it up with Lupin later, but it does, it, it, it 
fucks with him and it gives him this like it continues this am i weak do people think i'm weak yes. i fainted because of the dementors he doesn't think i can handle it this like yes. this 13 year old boy complex of like i'm you know i'm brave i can handle things whatever mm. and it was unnecessary yeah for sure and i and i feel like lupin's supposed to be portrayed as this like very emotionally intelligent character yeah and so but, but i I don't, I still don't think he's perfect. Like, he no, doesn't, he's not. He still doesn't know how to handle a lot of this stuff. Um, yeah. But yeah. But then, can I add, of course, then the bogget takes the form of what we know is a full moon, yeah. but to the students, it's a little bit ambiguous, right? Silvery I gotta orb. say, yeah, silvery orb, I think lavender describes it as a crystal ball. Yeah. Is it, why well. is Lupin afraid of crystal balls? <laughs> yeah. But, I got to say, like, and again, maybe it's just me being an adult now, but it is actually so obvious that Lupin is a werewolf down to the point where his name is literally Remus Lupin, which are yeah. two wolf names, basically. Yeah. His name is literally Wolf Wolf. <laughs> and, then, and then his bogget is a floating orb and i guess like it's ambiguous enough that no kid is gonna be like oh it's the moon he's a werewolf but looking back now it, it was have you seen that pitch perfect scene where she's saying that vader means father in german so darth vader's name is actually darth father and it was really <laughs> obvious from the start that he was luke's father um it's kind of like that it, like the it name really gives it all away it it does i i think there was the there was a banking on children not going into name origins, but yeah. um yeah, I remember when Eric from Mugglecast was on, he mm. he brought that up as he was talking about it. He's like, he's like, Yeah, the people in this fandom got really passionate and really wanted to do their research and they you know, and, and when they started to figure out things like Remus Lupin's name is Wolfie McWolferson, they <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and just much. saying it that way, like uh that's always going to stick with me. Um mm. But you're right. It's it was very again heavy-handed, very obvious, very uh should not have taken the 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 thought pro the the brain power that it does, particularly when he starts missing classes, and then Snape gives a werewolf essay, and then like it yes. just piles. And that's on how and Hermione on. that's how Hermione picks it. But also yeah. it then goes another level for me. Now this might be hard to explain, but like Obviously, in the real world, our world, J.K. Rowling has given him that name to imply that he's a werewolf, right? Yeah. But then when Lupin is born in universe, <laughs> he's not a werewolf. So it's no. just a massive coincidence yep. that in the world, he's be his name is Remus Lupin. And like then he gets <laughs> becomes a werewolf. Like, enormous yes. coincidence that... Hey, let's call our son Wolf Wolfson. Oh, he, he now he's a werewolf. Like, like that's where naming characters that foreshadow them doesn't add up for me because JK, we know JK Rowling did it as a hint, but it did doesn't make sense in the real world that it would be that. But yeah, anyway. Professor Sprout is a yeah. She couldn't have had any other profession ever. Professor Sprout should have like taught I I don't know care yeah. Yeah, divination. <laughs> yeah, anything. Yeah, it it's it's odd. But you so you asked me why why I thought that it, he should have pulled Harry aside or should have known to pull Harry aside, right? 
Yes. The thing that I latched on in this is when he gave Harry points at the end of class and Harry was like, well, I didn't do anything. Yes. And he's like, well, you Not answered my question right at the beginning of class. But like Harry was presenting obvious like self-doubt and like kind of confusion in that moment of like, you didn't let me face the thing and now you're giving me point like i didn't do like i feel like remus is emotionally intelligent enough to pick up on those social cues and realize like oh yeah. he's got he's got some questions let me just because it wouldn't take much all he had yeah. to do is just kind of like hey can, you know come come here for a sec while everybody else leaves and just be like hey i just wanted you to know i i didn't want that thing to take the form of Voldemort and everybody mm. else see it mm. And send him on but, his way. You know what I mean? But, like that. That's all. That's also. That's also. A, I think that's maybe more difficult than you're giving it credit for because it's like he's assuming that about Harry. Harry might have been like, "What the fuck? I wasn't even thinking that." Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Lupin doesn't know. Lupin is making that assumption, and by saying that to Harry, if Harry wasn't thinking that and it wasn't mm -hmm. going to become Voldemort, Harry might be like, "Oh, what the hell." Like that could have been more. I'm just like, I don't care either Maybe. way. By the way, like I just think it's interesting to think about. It is. It is. I think that's a good point. But when they do have their tea later, um, in one of the next couple of chapters, he Harry blurts it out. He's like, "Why didn't you let me face it?" And Lupin's mm. almost taken aback. He goes, "Oh, I I thought that would have been obvious." I thought it was going to take the form of Voldemort and I didn't think that he should be showing up in the middle of the classroom. Mm. Like I didn't even think twice. Like I, th I thought you would, I didn't think you'd even question that. Like I figured that was a given. And I'm like, so if you were thinking that it was that obvious, it wouldn't have taken much to just say, Hey, when this kid is going like, is looking so puzzled, it, like I don't know, it it was a weird also, thing that felt a little bit off, and like the only, yeah. like I said, the only misstep of the whole thing because I thought he did such a fantastic job teaching the class, like top to bottom. One counter to that again though is Harry doesn't know, and Lupin knows that Harry doesn't know that Lupin is more personally invested in Harry than most other teachers bar Snape because he knew his parents. So Harry doesn't actually know that Lupin has so much more, knows so much more because most teachers say McGonagall or Sprout, they know Harry Potter and they know his story, but they don't, they weren't friends with his parents. Right. So there's a, mm. there's a, another level of care there from Lupin. And maybe that adds another layer of confusion for him on what the right thing is to do. And that giving him those house house points at the end, I think is actually a really good way to at least give him something positive out of the class. Mm -hmm. Also not just isolating him, giving them to Hermione as well. So it's like, oh, you guys answered my questions. Here's some points, right? I think that's, a, I think you're right. He didn't handle it fantastically, but I don't think he, I think there were so many variables as we've discussed that, yeah. It would have been like, oh, I don't know what to do. I'll just do this. Like, yeah. yeah. I, I think you're right. And and it does, it lays it out in a more, it is way more complex than just simply being able to read the kid's mind, right? Like, you know, um, I just, 
I thought the of in a class that went almost so perfect, it was like the one thing that didn't mm. go perfect, right? Yeah, like for sure. Um, that was that was kind of the that was really the the only the only piece. It is interesting though that you said uh, talked about the teachers and their investment in Harry, Snape, mm. Lupin, Dumbledore, obviously like pulling mm. the strings on his entire life. McGonagall was there when he was dropped off at the doorstep. Like all of yeah, these that's true. professors, so many of these professors have like way more involvement in this child's life than like what you're a normal average, teacher just like, yeah, yeah like, for it, sure. It's wild. So, some, sometimes I actually kind of wish we got a, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little side story involving Harry and Flitwick or Harry and Sprout, because I think it just would be interesting to see how they interact with him in a one-on-one, which we don't really ever get. I mean, you know, beggars can't be choosers, but like, it would just be cool to have, yeah. have those kind of plots. Cause I think Flitwick is just a really interesting character that we don't get heaps of, but he's there. Um, but yeah, the amount of personal investment in a lot of like, I mean, <laughs> Trelawney made the prophecy, right? She's so the weird. reason. She's the reason they're all dead. Like it's her fault. <laughs> she should have just I, shut up. Yeah, I mean, there's there's literally like four people in the entire wizarding world, clearly because they yeah. all are like just <laughs> yeah. completely invested in this child's life. It's it's wild. It's absolutely wild. That but that's it. That's that's the whole chapter. That's it. Did we did really we miss good chapter. Anything? It is. It's I great. I don't think so. And it's, you know, it's an iconic, I feel like this is an iconic scene in the whole series. Like this, this scene in the movie, I remember being very iconic um, at the time as well. So this is a, this was a good one to do. I'm I'm glad um this was the one that I landed on. No, it, it was perfect. And, and I, I agree with you. It's one of the scenes where the movies got it about as right as you're going to get. Mm. Um, and even so much so that it became one of those fan service things that they ended up doing in the Fantastic Beast movies and having yes. Dumbledore do the same thing in that flashback that which yeah I forgot you know, that people bitched about but the fact that this resonated so hard that they would want to do that says something about this scene in its original form yeah for sure for sure all right well let's give out some house points uh and probably take some away if i had to take a guess um i am going to uh oh sorry let me let me explain house points um Mm. in true hogwarts fashion these points are completely subjective with no oversight and fully at our discretion (laughs) so with that being said i am giving neville I'm giving Neville points for putting up with Snape and building confidence to face his fears with the Bogart and being the one to finish it off. We didn't mention that, but he actually finished yes. off the Bogart and made it go poof into nothingness. It wasn't Lupin like it is in the movie. In the movie, yeah. Yeah. So I'm giving him 10 points for that. Uh, I'm giving Lupin points, obviously. Uh, I'm giving him 25 for being an awesome teacher and giving Neville the support and confidence that he's never fucking gotten ever. Do you want to give any points away to anybody for any reason? Can I, so you can deduct points? Oh yeah, I'll do that next. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. So we, it's give then deduct. Okay. I'm going to give, I'll give, I want to give 20 points to Neville. Um, yeah. Because I think he's just really brave and confident in this chapter. And I want to give 20 points to Ron, if that's okay. Because Ooh. I think 
He's the only one who's paying attention to Hermione's wacky time traveling <laughs> adventures. He's um, the only one that cares. <laughs> I think we owe it to him to do him some justice. So I'll give some to Ron. Do it. Uh, all right. So I'm going to take 30 points away from Snape for being the opposite of a good teacher, being an awful teacher and an awful human being. And I'm also uh, taking away 10 points from Draco Malfoy for being a douche. I was going to say, well, I was going to do the two same ones. So I'm going to take 20 from Malfoy for, yeah, doing what he did. But also one thing we did forget is when Pansy Parkinson is asking him oh, how I much it her. hurts and he lies about it and winks at Crab and Goyle, like, oh, so this will get her to like me. I hate that. Um, so, yeah, sorry, Malfoy. And then, I'm uh, not. yeah, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll take some from uh, Snape as well for just yeah being such a dickhead he's he's the absolute worst okay final hey, do, thing do you guys oh, say yeah, one thing do you guys say dickhead in america we do, do. do you say that we do yeah, okay cool yeah it's i it's not as super common at this point okay. in time in growing up in the circles that i grew up in dickhead was thrown around quite a bit yeah okay cool yeah mm -hmm. cool because you don't hear it in many of your shows and stuff i, I thought maybe it was an aussie thing but no it's good to know it's another thing we've taken from you guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay. One last thing that we got to do, and that is Expecto Plot Changeo. We're going to rewrite oh. Harry Potter one small change at a time. The question from this chapter is, what if Hermione didn't help Neville with his potion? How could that have changed the chapter and also potentially beyond that? Well, Any ideas? okay. Yeah, I I have I do have ideas. Like, Great. Okay, Neville screws up the potion. Mm -hmm. Snape force feeds it to Trevor. Mm -hmm. Trevor dies of poisoning in front of the entire class. The students all talk about this. Surely one of them would report it to McGonagall because that's a fucked thing. Like that's <laughs> this is a you child's think? pet. There's a child's pet. I know it's a tote, but it's a pet. Someone goes to McGonagall, hey, like in our class, Professor Snape did this. And I'm sorry, but that is absurd. They would, someone would tell their parents. Parents would then go to the headmaster or to McGonagall and be like, hey, you cannot employ a man who is killing people's pets to prove a point in front of them. That toad was a, like Neville's grandma, that toad was a beloved pet of my grandchild. How could you have allowed this to happen in this school? Um, to which then Snape gets fired. And then the whole course of the books change because Snape isn't there anymore. That's what I think could happen. I love it. I'm a big fan. I wish that would have happened. <laughs> it would have been great. No more Snape. It's so wonderful. Yeah. No Maybe more Snape Slug as a professor. Slughorn comes in in book four. The whole course of everything would change. It, I, I would be in favor. I would be totally on board. And actually, it might actually ha make me want to invest in Snape as a character at all. Yeah. Because <laughs> I say all this shit about Snape. It just pisses me off so much because of the way that he treats children from a point mm. of, you know, authority and guidance that he's supposed to have over them. He actually has a character that could have been otherwise compelling mm. in this series. Yeah. Yeah. But he ruins it because he's a total dick to children. Not a good guy. The we, worst. We, all, we all know a Snape in our real lives. We've Do all we have one. Like that? that, that no, no, not, not that bad. That's not fair. Not that bad. 
That's fair. We, uh, we all had a teacher who had a crush on our mom at high school. We we did. We we and totally now, did. Now he's acting as a double agent with Wizard Hitler. Yes. Because of that crush. Does I thought I was the only one. You too? Yeah. No, I <laughs> have right. one too. Yeah. Don't worry. All right. Good. 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 I'm I'm so glad. Uh, I I will share that question across social media. It's at Belated Binge on all the things. With that, we've reached the end of this episode of Belated Binge. Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, plug anything and everything, all all of the things. Well, this was awesome. I want to. I'd love to do another one, by the way. Um. So yes, please. That up sometime. Yeah. Open door. Um. Awesome. And then yeah, I just type in Radio Mike Australia somewhere on your <laughs> on Google on the internet. You'll find me. You'll eventually find me. And then. I do two podcasts, Harry Potter and the Boys, which we talked about, and 20th Century Boy, which is just like a, almost like a blog kind of style thing. Um, it's the conversations you wish you were having about the stuff that no one else cares about. So um, yeah, just go and give that a listen. It's out every Thursday. Harry Potter and the Boys is out every Tuesday. And if you happen to be in Melbourne on December 15th, we're doing a live podcast. So <laughs> Do you want to fly over from America? Book like, your ticket now. I mean, I assume you have have listeners in Australia. So if you're in Melbourne, come see our live show, um, December fifteenth. It'll be worth it. I promise. I'm I, I'm not gonna get to go, but I, go for me. Um, record yeah, it on, on your on phone. I, I want all of it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Just show up. Put put my name on your name tag. Just just pretend to be steal my identity. For, actually, don't do that. Don't don't. Do, I want to keep my identity intact. Please. Please don't be a, one of those people. Uh, <laughs> if you enjoyed this, please follow, subscribe, all the things on all the podcast players that you're that you're doing. If you're so inclined, check out the additional benefits on patreon.com slash belated binge. Um, the website has links to all of the things, belatedbinge.com. Thanks for listening and for telling all your Potterhead friends that their new favorite podcast should be Belated Binge, Harry Potter.